You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to a brilliant Canadian comic, a youngish guy who's only been over in the UK for a couple of years after moving here from Canada. Uh, We've got some insight into the Canadian circuit and the possible origin of what we in the UK might think of as the Canadian style. Uh, This is a brilliant conversation with John Hastings. We've only met sort of once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. And we, we, we met actually, and this I only remember because it was in the sort of first month I was ever in the UK, and it's what that was sort of okay. a, a lad in the city, so everyone's face is just oh, tattooed sure, in man. my yeah, brain. Okay. So you know what Where I mean? Where was that? When was it? It was at the Comedy Store uh, right after, right before a Just for Laughs audition, Imran Youssef, who oh, I yeah, met okay. in Canada, yes. asked me to come down and go over a set for Canadian audiences. And uh, I had to tell him not to say cricket because okay. they wouldn't know what cricket was. <laughs> That's interesting. And okay. then, and you were in the green room, and I remember you looked uh, like you were like very calm, and like Imran was being very intense. And another comic, I think it was Josh Whittacombe, was there, and he was. I remember he was sitting on the like dressing room table, kind of just sort of staring around, very like, "Oh, this seems like something we're doing." And uh, and then yeah, and then I like left, and the bouncers had the comedy store were intensely weird to me as they always are. They're the angriest crew. Like they are the perfect bouncers. Like I don't think their faces actually smile. Like they just stare at you. And so, yeah, that's, I remember that completely. <laughs> okay. And then we actually met again at the boat that had that Valentine's day. Cause Mike Wilmot got oh, me yeah. drunk because I was away from my girlfriend. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. And yeah. And we were there. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you've been over here now for two and a half. I've been over here for two years. That was okay. me just sort of sussing it out. So I am from uh, Canada. Started stand-up in uh, Montreal. Um, and uh, did that for... I was doing stand-up there for two years. When was that? How long ago was that? 2007, 2006-7. Okay. So I've been doing it about eight years. And, and what were the... When you started doing it, let's just spend a bit of time yeah, on that. Sure. What, what were the circumstances that led you to try it out? Were you uh, someone that had always wanted to be a comic? I'd always... It's one of those stupid things. I'd always wanted to be uh, in the comedy world and I just didn't know the path. Like, Canada's very interesting in that in high school you can do something called the Canadian Improv Games, which is the equivalent to the football team, but for 
improv games. So you go okay. show up and it's a whole league, and there's feuds between schools and parents have been on the teams and no then they're way. Kids, uh, yeah, 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 no way. Okay, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. The yeah. football analogy is really interesting, but okay, so there's a hereditary kind of like you've got to yeah. go out there and take on. There's the blood feuds between schools that go back generations, like between. Wow. Like, uh, between Bofa and Jimmy, if for those of you who are Canadian Improv Games fans, so a school called Canterbury and a school called Lisger, it's like the Montagues and the Capulets. Like, craziness. And, like, I later worked for them, and you have to keep the coaches separated because they'll swear at each other. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's... So I did that my last year of high school, and it literally just transformed my life because I was like, oh, this. Because I'd always, like, you know... Stand up and comedy and doing improv. Were you a sporty guy? Were you no. a kind of big guy? I could see you sort of wrestling in a leotard. No, I, I was a fat punk. Okay. Was, yeah, I was into like punk music. Like I was, yeah, I got the shit kicked out of me for most of elementary school and high school, and uh, and was just sort of a fat guy. Like our. Is like, that are you talking actual? When you say get the shit kicked out, of you, are you talking physical bullying? I mean physical, like be- like punched beaten. in the face okay. by various people to the point that when high school started, my like my sort of group of friends, we literally decided, well, fuck this, and we started going like back at it with like like words and stuff like that. And I rem- like legitimately remember one guy. I'm not going to say his name because he exists as a human being. Um, one guy literally just like got in my face and it was the first time where I literally with words just like tore him apart. And I remember feeling really bad afterwards cause he was crying and everyone else was then turned what on him. Say? What did uh, he say? He'd stolen him? his sister's, this is the late nineties when fashion choices were even more reprehensible than they are now where, um, he'd stolen his sister's diamond earring to wear so he would look like Eminem. And I made that point and, like, talked about how he was an idiot and, he like, stu- and, like, a bunch of other You sort things. of x-rayed his decisions and the you know, the information you knew about him. Yeah. And you made that all public in a way that normally wouldn't people wouldn't have mentioned. As if he was a heckler, to use a, a com- comedian analogy, he was a heckler in a tracksuit and I took him down using all of those things, but with all my 14-year-old testosterone rage... And, uh, yeah, and he cried like a, like a little girl. So this was a guy who was about to hit you. Punch me right in the face. And then we were both sent out into the hallway. This makes me sound like a lunatic. But I knew that if he threw the first punch, because our school, Ottawa, I grew up in Ottawa, and Ottawa's a crazy weird town because there's no, Canada doesn't have a class system. They just put everyone together and let them all sort out. And Ottawa is the capital of Canada. So you have diplomats. So people, like, the, I went to elementary school with the, like, the Canadian ambassador from Jordan's son who had a bodyguard and a limousine, and then next to him is, like, a kid from, like, our equivalent of a council estate, like, yeah. low there's no separation, so everyone's sort of around, so they have all these weird things where there's the good high school where, you know, it's academic focused, and, and then there's the other high school where you're kind of warehoused and they hope you don't kill someone, mm-hmm. and they're literally a five-minute walk away from each other. Okay. Like, the only thing that separates them is a is a road and an elementary school. So it's just bananas. And so um, the school is very focused on, like, weeding out everybody. And and so it's all, like, you're very much watched. This is, like, what do you call it, grammar school, but a public school, so anyone can sure. go. But you're very much watched, and we got sent down to the school, and there's, like, they make it very clear, like, if you throw the first punch, because they have problems with, you know, a kid who's, 
parents are multi-millionaires and a mm-hmm. kid whose parents can barely afford to buy him sneakers, they may not get along so well. Mm-hmm. So they have to be very clear with fighting rules because there's just a lot of fights. And the clear thing was if you throw the first punch, you're suspended for a week. You throw the second punch, you're suspended for a day. And I'm like, well, me and this guy are going to go round and round. Be smart about it. He'll throw if he throws provoke first, him into throwing the first punch because it was going to happen anyway. And we're both and the fucking teachers are idiot. Don't if the kids are about to fight in the classroom. Don't send them outside the classroom together, away from away from everyone. What yeah. do you think is going to happen? And that's what he happened. And he said something about my mom, and then but he still was crying. And I just went out on that, and he like cried even more, and then ran away from school for the day. So he didn't throw the punch, and he didn't throw, throw the punch, okay. and I felt very bad about it. So that's just an odd, weird story about my psyche. No, no, but, no. This is no, it's an important story. This um, is, no, it is. I, I, <laughs> I feel like I should be crying. Uh, <laughs> it might happen. You're jiggling instead of crying. Yeah, that's yeah. That's so weird. And so, yeah, so, that's, so you described that as like, oh, that was the first time I sort of tore someone apart. Like, I can honestly say I have never spoken to someone to the extent that they've, or not within my memory, not since I was maybe like seven I don't think I've made anyone cry by kind of ripping into them verbally. You've never done it with a heckler? You've never attacked someone? Made them cry? No. You, I would think you would be surprised if you followed that person home. <laughs> okay, maybe I've made because someone you know, cry. You know what I mean? Like, it's like we do... Well, I think... I don't think I, I... I think I would be very surprised to learn that I had because I don't ever see... And people deal with hecklers in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever tear into someone in that shut them down kind of way that I would more readily associate with kind of a branch or a wing of comedy that I don't really consider mm. myself part of. I, I don't tend to play those kind of really tough environments where people will... Or maybe I just respond differently. Like, I mean, if yeah. someone really gives me loads of shit, rather than feel like I have to master the situation and destroy him, I will, probably because of a lack of skill or a, certainly a lack of intention... I sort of let the rest of the audience hate him. I let the gig die a bit because mm. of him. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm not saying yeah. that's like a deliberate tactic. No, no, no. But, no, I, but I, I, I wouldn't think to, okay, then I'm going to destroy you now. You know, that's, that's I think, yeah, not the way I, think I approach it's also, it. Maybe to my detriment. No, no, no. I think it's also, it's the differences in where we were, you know, the first five years of comedy took place. Well, this is, this is what I want to talk about. Because yeah, yeah, if yeah. you then started stand-up in Canada, I'll, I'll describe to you how I... Imagine how I have heard Can- I do, Canadian I do comedy works. Br- British descriptions of and Canadian you, comedy. Yeah, I'm very sure. funny. To oh, well, you because tell me what you think I'm going to say. The shocking thing is, it's the usually dead fucking on, which is a, a, some of the gigs. Not all. There's some amazing shows in Canada, but some of the gigs you are like in the middle of the wilderness, and it's a group of intense men in like a wood panel room, and you got to go do an hour. Or you don't get paid and you may be fed to a bear. Absolutely. That is what I was going to say. That is, that is, and what's the shocking thing is no one's ever seen them. I'm sure someone's described it and it's become apocryphal, but those are about 25% of the shows you will do. Mm-hmm. And 100% of the shows you will do is if a heckler pipes up and you don't like take him down, like eviscerate him. The owner will fucking jump down your throat because they don't have security. They don't. Have, they can't afford bouncers. Okay. Like the first time I ever saw a bouncer in a comedy club was at the Glee in Nottingham, when a, like and the woman was just drunk and she spilled a bunch of stuff and they asked her to leave and I have never seen that. 
in my entire life. Okay. They, don't, they can't afford bouncers, so they... It's is up. that true? No club in Canada has bouncers? They might have... The manager might go say something to them. Okay. I've had that happen, but they will... Okay. It's not... That, to me, is a fascinating revelation, because I completely... Whenever I talk on this show about kind of road warrior types, you know, Buscarado yeah, kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the p- people I have in mind are often Canadian performers. Now, it might be that's American as well, but you there's fewer Americans over here. Yeah, yeah. But um, that is fascinating to me because absolutely, when I think of you, when I think of Johansson, when I think of uh, Craig Campbell, when I think of a lot of people of that yeah. kind of ilk, it's what I think of is their absolute... I mean, the stories you hear about Craig, and I'll, I'll get him on before too long, but, you know, decking hecklers oh, and yeah. stuff. Because... If you're in an environment where for your joke to work, you have to do the job of a bouncer with your mouth, you can see how that would that would shape a particular, and I, well, not a generation, a particular style of comedy, a particular branch it's of comedy. It's very much that. It's also, it's not even the joke to work. It's that you're in great, you're in Swastika, Ontario, which is an actual <laughs> place. <laughs> You're in Swastika, Ontario, you're in the Legion, and you're ten minutes in, and you gotta do an hour, yeah. because the guy there has the check, yeah. and he doesn't want to give you the check. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna call the cop that's two towns over because he won't pay you? That guy's not gonna be there for a while. He's got bigger fish to fry. So, you have to do the hour, or the 45 minutes, and it's just in your mind of, if this guy keeps going, it's gonna be trouble. So, you just gotta take them down. You know what I'm saying? Like that. And I think that that's a complete accurate thing. And it's also something that I actually don't like I can do because I, it's very, this is just sort of going back. So I started Montreal, Canadian comedy system, and it's this weird sort of thing where I, because of how Canada is structured, it's very club focused. There's not, there's only now starting to become the fun, cool, horribly named alternative comedy thing where it's just comedy in cool rooms to, in, not intelligent people is not the right word, but people who have actually researched what they're going to look for. Sure. And that's only happening in sort of the last two years. Before that, it was all just club system, and you have to get in there to do the club system. But now, in sort of living here and listening to who my influences were, all my influences were that early to mid-90s American alternative comedy scene. Those are the, like, Patton Oswalt was the guy. So did the Canadian Prop Games, was in theater school because I wanted I wanted that audience pop that you got from doing improv so I was like well theater school I have um, parents are like you gotta go to university did you do well in the games is that yeah we like star player I, was, I wasn't the star player I was luckily I was with eight people who were all amazing performers we gelled very well as people we all were sort of looking for something along those lines and it worked out and we ended up fourth we ended up second in our city and then I think we then it sort of we went to nationals and our goal was to get to nationals and we went and it was all sort of great and then yeah and from that I just like I literally I was getting ready to go t- study history to be a teacher because I just needed to do something because I don't know how what your family was like but my family the one rule is you have to go to university for four years and you have to graduate and it was my mom literally said you can go study basket weaving and get D's. I don't care. Just get that piece of paper. Okay. And I was like, and I did that. Switched my major to theater. Ended up moving to Montreal from Ottawa, so it's two hours away to go there. Theater school, which I didn't put a lot of thought into, but was actually the smartest, one of the smarter things I ever did because 
that theater school prepared me to be in show business in this weird way because it was not necessarily just about being a performer and learning about hitting the mark and lights. It was all like they call it like practitioner professors. Mm -hmm. So it was little things like learn how to use a lighting grid, use how to rig a soundboard, understand what a stage manager is doing, understand how to fill out a grant application, understand what a contract is, understand like all those sort of things. And then you got extra classes and credits for setting up things. If I could look back, it was obvious I was going to go into comedy because as soon as that rolled around, we did, and like me and four people did an improvised soap opera for a run. We bought the rights to a play by the guys from the state called Sex, a.k.a. Wieners and Boobs and staged it for f five nights and did it that way and stuff like that. And then uh, it was in my last year, uh, my girlfriend at the time took me to a stand-up club and like every arrogant young going to be in show business person, I remember watching the comedians and going, this is not very good. I think I could do this. And then it took me six months to get on stage, got on stage. It was a combination of saw that stand-up thing, then someone gave me Patton Oswalt's first album, Feeling Kind of Patton, and he had jokes about Motley Crue, like things that I was into. Because yeah. like, yeah, I don't yeah. know what it was like here, and I'd be interested to ask, just because I sort of hear about, like, you know, Stuart Lee, et cetera, et cetera. But I always think the comics have that moment of going, like, oh, I can do it that way. Because mm -hmm. we all see the, I don't know who the popular comics were when you were coming up. But mm -hmm. the XY guy and going, well, that's not really me. And then you see the over here alt guy or the other guy. And I always think, like, oh, that's him. For me, it was Patton Oswalt. That happened. Jumped my way on stage. Did four minutes about throwing up. And then subsequently bombed for six months. Like we all do. And then, uh, yeah, never stopped. But the bug bit me, and I just didn't stop for a long fucking time. So, when you were starting, yo, how long was it before you got an awareness of the stuff we were talking about before about having to destroy or you don't get paid right away? Right. So away. that's is that a thing when you start? I mean. You started, there were other professionals around you or other open micers around you? The owner. The thing with it is that you have to sort of imagine Canada's way smaller in terms of numbers in cities. So London, it doesn't even apply. The amount of comedy, like the, in where I started in Montreal, there was two, there's now only one, but there was two comedy clubs. So they need their open micers sort of up and ready mm. quick because mm. the, the rotation is very, very fluid people get to a certain level and they fuck off from montreal yeah so they need that new okay. crop to be good and they need them to know what they're doing six months in like i was doing paid gigs eight months into being a comedian hosting shows nine months into being a comedian and it was literally like you have to go up you have to kill i won't pay you they never work here again and it's like if there's only two games in town you kind of yeah. Well, this is another, this is one of those things that I think of as one of I perceive about Canadian comedy. Also, because, and I guess, because the towns are so far away from each other mm. that you, I, and I don't know whether I've been told this or just assumed it, maybe I'm wrong, but if you have got one gig this week and it's a 500 mile drive away, then there can be no possibility that you screw it up. No. Whereas over here, I certainly, being an open micer in London, there's a gig tonight, there's two gigs tomorrow night, there's oh. another gig. I mean, you know, it was easier in my day in terms of that volume. But I think if you threw yourself at it, you could gig most nights as an open micer in London. Totally. You Absolutely. Can, you so can... you can try stuff out, take risks, fail. Those guys didn't like it, doesn't matter. Whereas I think the Canadian model shapes and hammers into a, a definition of success 
Yeah. Much and it's a, harder and uh, And I think it's sooner. actually not necessarily the best definition of success in the long term, which is I think that comedy clubs have a total purpose and they're totally good, but you can learn not necessarily bad skills, but it can get into your head of I got to make this rabble laugh and you need... For me, and it's literally within the last six months, is that to be okay with saying that was not my crowd or saying I know how to approach that crowd, but I don't like them. So this is John. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, He is, we're going to talk here about trying to escape the mold that your appearance or your manner might suggest you'd be most comfortable in. Uh, I should say, for those of you who've, who've not seen John, and as ever, please see him live. He's got bags of stuff on YouTube. Um, he does appearance-wise, certainly in the flesh, he does appear to be massive. He's kind of, he looks kind of like a jock. He's a, a hulking guy. He's quite tall, but he gives the impression somehow of, of being even more hulking than he actually is. I think it's that big, thick neck and bullet head of his. He, I think he's got a line about being an Aryan wet dream, and rightly so. Um... So uh, that's some interesting stuff on that coming up. Um, and uh, yeah, just a, a, a really good, like a very, um, it felt like quite a different episode to some, some recent ones. A nice kind of palate cleanser talking about some very different things to, to what we've been, to some of the darkness of recent episodes with the sad bearded white men and, uh, and Welsh warlocks. So um, yes, I hope you enjoy that. I'm a little bit all over the place today. I'm doing this earlier in the week than I usually do because I'm about to go to Edinburgh. And let's just have some quick thoughts on Edinburgh now. Um, and there may be no show next week uh, while I get settled and get start running in my show, which, as you know by now, is called Extra Life and is on at seven o'clock every night at the Pleasance Courtyard uh, in a very tiny, very hot room. So wear shorts, bring water uh, and come along and see that. I can't wait to see you there. Come and say hello. Uh, I will occasionally be needing to run off afterwards to go and do other gigs or see other shows. Um, but I do. If you want to wait around and say hello to me afterwards, please do. Because of the nature of the show, I, I can't really uh, make any polite uh, gestures like that from the stage but if you're a fan of the podcast please come and say hello to me it'd be great to meet you um and of course the the edinburgh run of comedians comedian shows here's who's on when on the 10th of august sam simmons will be joining us on the 17th of august a mystery guest on the 18th the, the brilliant phil k is going to be with us i can't wait for that I, i've got uh, i know phil quite well and uh, I, having spent a, a week with him in, uh, where were we, Switzerland some years ago, uh, we've got lots of uh, fun stories to recount, as well as getting into uh, where his absolute courage uh, in, and desire to completely, genuinely improvise afresh every time. We're going to find out where that comes from. Uh, Josie Long on the 19th of August. Brilliant Josie Long. Can't wait for that. That's long overdue. Uh, and the absolutely fabulous Bridget Christie is finally locked in, confirmed for the 20th of August. So... Simmons, K, Long, Christie, plus one more, TBC. Um, you can get tickets for that at pay-what-you-want.info or indeed via heroesoffringe, all one word, dot com. Heroesoffringe.com, where you can, if you just put podcast into the search box, it's probably the easy, easiest way of doing it. Or you can just turn up. Uh, I, I don't know if they'll sell out. I hope they will. Maybe they will. Uh, you can buy tickets from those sources in advance for a fiver or you can turn up and we'll pass our hat round at the end. Um, remember, none of the money will go to my guests. Ha! Um, I don't think it will. Uh, I don't know if they know that. Let's uh, let's find out when we get there. Um, I'm really looking forward to those shows, and I hope there's going to be lots of comics there in the audience. Guys, I know you didn't come last time because it cost a tenner, but now you can get in for free if you like, and then simply smile at me on your way out and mutter something about deserving a comp. 
Um, a couple more recommendations of Edinburgh shows. I am definitely going to go and I don't know. I've been invited to do this now. Roe Campbell, uh, an Australian comic who I think is based in or was based in Scotland, is now based in uh, in England. Um, he organises comedian rap battles. Now these were at Bannerman's last year. I don't think they're official Ed Fringe shows because I couldn't find them on the website, but have an ask around and try and come and see these. There's loads of videos online if you look for comedians rap battles on YouTube. I will certainly be going along to watch Sophie Hagen battle Jeff Leach on Sunday the 10th of August. Now, it's either at 11pm or midnight. It was in Bannerman's last year. Maybe it's there again. Um, find out. Uh, let's all go and watch that. I can't wait. That's going to be great. And I'm if I can get my bravery, if I can get my courage together, I might even participate in one. Probably not on that night. I think they only do two acts a night. Don't know how it works. Anyway, those are those. A couple of things I meant to mention last week that I forgot. Alistair Tremblay-Birchall is in town. You'll remember uh, Mathematical uh, ATB from a previous episode last year sometime, early last year. Um, can't wait to see his uh, his new show, Success Arms. Uh, he's also going to be a, doing a show called Alistair Tremblay Birchall Lists Everything. I don't have the details for those in front of me, but have a look for those. Um, I'm going to try check back at the uh, Comedians Comedian Facebook page. I'm going to try and recommend one show with ticket links and details and everything every day during the Fringe. Uh, that seems like the very least I could do. Um, but also the ones that I didn't mention last week that I meant to um, were Alistair Green. I cannot wait to see Alistair Green. Uh, I knew him as Al Stick when we started out at roughly the same time. He is one of the most naturally funny people I've seen and uh, a, a proper comedian's comedian. I think you'll love his stuff. He's on at 10 past eight daily at the stand. Uh, come heckle Christ. I'm certainly going to be going to see that. It's Jesus. You heckle him. And that's the show. Uh, 20 past 10 at the Pleasance Courtyard. Uh, Beat This, Rob Deering's brilliant musical game show, is at the Gilded Balloon at 11.45. It's not every night. Uh, I don't know which nights, but on the 14th of August, I'm going to be taking part in that. So do come along. And finally, thank you for all the donations. You too can donate via PayPal. Um, someone suggested to me that I should take a leaf out of Professor Blastoff's book. That's another brilliant podcast with Tig Notaro and others. Uh, and read out the names of people who've donated. Um, maybe I should do that. I'll do that next time. I haven't uh, organised that now. But thank you to all of you. So kind of you. I really appreciate your assistance and uh, and your support for the show. If you too would like to donate, and remember, the people who pay for the show, they pay for the people who can't afford it. Um, so please chuck us any amount of money. A pound a show, that seems reasonable to me, but this is show number, what, 86 now? So uh, maybe maybe 50p a show, <laughs> whatever you think is reasonable, um, on comedianscomedian.com. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com or tweet me at comcompod, and I promise I will look into doing world pay subscriptions soon because lots of you are trying. You know, lots of you are ticking the regular payment button on PayPal and it never works, so please don't do that. Um, I hope I'll sort that out soon. Now, let's get back to the wonderful John Hastings. Let's stay with this for a little while, because I think this idea that you can you can learn comedy in a certain way that you end up going, I don't like what I've learned. I don't like those skills that I've learned. I mean, the classic example over here would be the commercial clubs at a weekend that someone would... Uh, show real promise and then 20 years after hitting that commercial circuit mm. would end up kind of being able to smash those gigs to pieces every single night but actually you sort of could look at them from the outside and go whoa is that was that really your potential yeah there's tricks there's tricks to those clubs there's tricks to Canadian clubs which are it's Let's let's talk about some of those. Let's talk about some of those tricks. And there's and there's another, another why they're more also, or less useful. There, there's two things to it. Is that again, I'm not trying to besmirch those clubs in any way. It's more just for 
I lost the plot of why I came to the UK because I did what I did in Canada, which is I focused on getting into those clubs. I really fucking focused on it because I wanted the, it's, again, it came back to two things. It's financial reality and also the ability to go, I'm in those clubs too. Yes, you know absolutely. what I mean? Yes. So you can, and you can lose the fucking plot of why you got into comedy if you really focus on it, depending on the type of performer you are. There are some performers that fucking, they should be in those clubs, that that's their audience, totally. And it's like, I got into it because it's, it was Patton Oswalt and I wanted to be weird and quirky and talk about fucking like weird shit and shit I'm into. I, I'm not here to talk about it's your stag do. I don't give a fuck. You, you have cocks on your head, and that's stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Be- and again, if we want to really go psychological, it's also part of the reason I don't like it, is those are the exact guys that bullied me my entire childhood, and I became the guy that they all would be like, oh, you were so funny when you called him a dick. And I was like, yeah, I guess so, that's fine. And have you guys read uh, 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 the Motley Crue biography? Because that was very interesting. Like, you know what I mean? So it was, it was that weird moment and where I came to the crossroads of coming to the UK, and I'll get to your point in a second, is I went to the Just for Last Festival. I won a competition there. I got a meeting with a LA manager who is pretty big and pretty powerful. And he said, well, when you come to LA, you'll be like the frat boy comedian because that's what you look like. And it's like, that's, and in my heart, I was like, that's not what I am though. I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't really give a fuck about sport. I don't like it. Like I want to be the, I don't know just the guy who's a comedian. Like, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I repelled from that. Someone told me, hey, well, the UK, you can just be a stand-up. And in that moment, I was just like, that's what I'm kind of looking for. Bought a ticket, came in February for a month, and within that month was already, then became, completely forgot why I had come to the UK, which was to get away from that idea of, like, being this model, being this model, and then just became sort of obsessed with getting into the club so that I could you know, make money and feel like that would be something good for me. And you can lose yourself. And I lost myself for a little bit last year because I was writing material that wasn't for me. It was for the ability to get into certain big commercial clubs and to work in those certain big commercial clubs because they can be heckly and they can be rowdy. Like, you've seen my act now. I really enjoy talking for 10 minutes on a story. I like story jokes they don't necessarily work in those rooms because they're drunk and they there's too many gaps and you have to be listening to go like, oh, he mentioned shoes, shoes will come back. Like, you know what I mean? It's got to be like dick, cock, fart. And so I, I lost the plot for a little bit in those because you do learn those bad skills of it's got to be short, it's got to be quick, it's got to be punchy. If you have a song cue, that's good. If you can make it high energy, that's good. All those sort of things. So did you work those clubs? I worked those clubs. It's, it sounds to me that what we're describing here is someone who is maybe not naturally attuned, but attuned by virtue of their background in comedy. Yeah. Like, if I was the booker for Jonglers, I'd go, this guy's going to be great. He's yeah. a Canadian with all the skills. He's going to kick its ass. We're, I'm never going to need to worry that he's not going to go well. Yeah. I'm never going to need to apologize to a table, apart from maybe he went too hard, but they probably mm. the rest of the room liked it. So is what we're describing here someone who has that kind of affinity yeah. due to your background that actually doesn't want to be it's, yeah I don't want to I don't like I don't want to be that in that and then it's two sides of the same coin I can also I understand I also need to eat and I can do it and it was this weird revelation where I was playing the Junglers Bristol last weekend 
And I was literally up there and it's just, you know, pre-Ember thing and I'm in a fucking tizzy and I don't want to give them my Ember jokes because I'm like, these are, these are my babies. I'm not sending them out to the lions. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go up there and I'll just fucking spritz. Luckily the, the, the host was just doing material. So I just did the laddie. So spritzing is, that's not a, I'm, spritzing, I'm sorry, it's a banter we... or you crowd work. So I just crowd worked and then did old stuff. And that was actually sort of rewarding because it was like, oh, that got laughs. And it was like laughs on my terms in terms of what we were doing, which I hadn't been doing for two years being here, which is I would always try and have that certain sort of little bit that, that worked. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's you, like, you would go into those environments, you'd think, right, I know what these people want, yeah. I have to give them what they want. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it was a, that moment where I was like, no, I'm not giving them what I think, like, I'm going to I'm gonna do what I would like to do, mm-hmm. and if it works out, it works out, and then if not, it doesn't work out, because you, the thing you also realize, for young comedians listening to this, and Stu, I'm sure you know this too, is everyone's memory is a lot fucking shorter than we as comedians think we are, like... You bombed somewhere and you felt so bad calling that club six months later and they didn't really even remember you'd ever played it before. Mm-hmm. And it's that moment that I'm just coming attuned to. It's like, oh, there's, there's 10,000 other comics here. They've already forgotten. They think that I was J.J. Whitehead mm-hmm. and that he stormed. So it's like fucking right. Because again, going back to Canada, Canada, there's 200 comics in the entire country. If you fuck up, they're going to remember Forever. Like, there are stories of guys bombing. I don't think... They, I think they're dead now, and it's still brought up. Do you understand? Like, so it's... That's in your head, and also you have an entire nation of people, you know, that are want to know how it's going and stuff. Because like, mm-hmm. every Canadian... You play the UK-LA decision game. Mm-hmm. I went UK because... I like rain, and I wanted to be a stand-up, and everything I've heard about LA is you kind of go there and you stand in line to be in those clubs and I you occasionally just get this weird sort of pressure of like oh, how it's going like people will sort of be like how it's going well I heard just just is also in the UK and they're on TV and you have to kind of just go like yeah we're doing different things like you know what I mean you have to quiet those voices mm-hmm. but then that also was getting to me and stuff like that in the last little bit or the last sort of year sort of stopped in January well specifically what was getting to you the idea what was getting that you to had to compete, compete with the other yeah, Canadians you're in the competing UK. with the other Canadians in the UK I felt this needless pressure from people back home to succeed. I was doing an act that pressure I, that they were putting on you, or yeah, pressure you were imagining. It was, them it was it was probably they were saying they were doing a positive thing of like, oh, you could be on TV, and I'm hearing like, I'll never fucking get on. Like, you know what sure. I mean? That whole like they're being they're complimenting you, and you hear they go like, that's a nice shirt, and you hear it's a nice shirt. Um, that sort of thing. I'm doing an act that I didn't really like. Because I was trying to do what I think the audience wanted, mm-hmm. not what I wanted to do. And so. And I would just start to pause at that point and say, I am completely, uh, I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I find very, very recently, like within the last four months, I did a set at uh, a commercial club uh, where I gave them what I wanted to give them and didn't care that it was less explosive than the stuff they wanted to hear yeah. because actually it was really nice. It mm. was a really... And I kind of was like, wow, the whole room isn't going with this, but some pockets of the room are really going with this. And, and me, holy shit, why has it taken me this long to turn that corner? This is going to be the weirdest edit in the show ever, but let me ask you a question and we'll go back to what we were talking about. How long have you been going as a stand-up? Ten years. So ten years... I'm eight years. I think that we're in that pocket of this is, it goes from like 
can you believe it? I'm getting up at noon and being paid to tell jokes to like, this is my job. I'm not fucking around. I'm also going to, you need to be who you want to be because in the end, like, it can be a really lonely, bitter existence if you're not like completely and totally behind the decisions you make outside of any other tertius interference by agents, managers, club owners, but, 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 but you have to be okay with what you did and justify it to yourself. I, I think I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but, and I know that in the moment I did, um, uh, I did a just for laughs showcase and I did a moment and one comic was on and that it was James Acaster. I'll say what it was. It was James Acaster. James Acaster went up and he did exactly what he wanted to do. Be was exactly who he wanted to be. And he did because of the audience. It was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved it. And I went up and I did, I took the advice of the people like agents, managers and other people, other comics and did what I thought that they wanted and it went okay, but it was, I felt soulless about the whole thing. And it was like that moment, I remember I was, I was uh, had the like, first cigarette in a month with Paul Meyerhog, and I was talking about it, and he was like, that went really well. And I was like, I don't like that it went well. And he was like, that, he said, that is a very dangerous set of mind frame to be in. And then I think we did shots. I don't really remember what else happened. But going back to what I'm saying is like, it was, I think you do need to have that moment because it's what you want it to be, so it's a little bit... You're a bit more out there on the fucking raggedy edge because you can't coach it in the, well, I thought that's what they wanted. Or, you know what I mean? Going back to Edinburgh, which is why I'm panicking about it, is it's exactly the show I want it to be. So if it gets torn to shreds or I lose 8,000 pounds, A, I can be justifiably happy going, well, that's exactly what I want it to be. But there's also only one person to blame on the other side of it, which is, well, I want it exactly... That's exactly what I want it to be. And oh boy, did it not work. Do you know what I mean? So that's why that goes back to the panic mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, um, and then we we're talking before now about sort of commercial clubs. And I think that, that, yeah, it's an important distinction to make. And I think you have to do it or you become those bitter guys we've all been in the green room with that are sitting there going like, oh, my Margaret Thatcher joke doesn't work as well as it used to be. And I just fucking live in fear of becoming that guy. Like, you don't want to fucking share a car ride with fucking... You don't want to be with that guy because, you know what? He's got some interesting points about the business, but just, like, there's just some poison in his mouth, and it just it brings everything down. And I'm going to get a Facebook message, but who gives a fuck? And you know what I mean? Like, you just need to go away from it. And that's going why Ember is really worrying me because it's just I want out... For more, more than anything else, I would like to prove to myself that I think I made the right decision by not worrying about necessarily what the audience is worried about and more, you know, da-da-da-da-da, dick and fart. Like, I want to talk about dick yeah. jokes and they want me to do fart jokes and okay. dick jokes. Well, let's talk about the difference then in the stuff. Let's get more specific for people who haven't seen your act. Great. About the difference between uh, the blah-blah-blah dick jokes yeah. and what it is you do. What What is it that you are excited? I'm not sort of challenging you to go, oh, yeah, think you're clever, are you? No. But what's the stuff? Tell us a, a, a specific piece that you're proud of that you think is in the... Latter category and not the former. Uh, the I have a long story about a party in the show that I had a. It's l- a mushroom story. It's a mushroom story. Yeah. yeah, that I had a lot of people go. You know, I don't know if that's going to work in clubs. I don't know if that's going to work anywhere. Like it's just too long. It doesn't make any sense. It's not real, and it's like, well, the two funniest moments in it are quote for quote real moments that occurred. 
I'm being very vague because it's a big part of the show and I don't, don't want to give it away. away. That's, that's fine. Um, and it was a weird moment of, as it was sort of transitioning and I sort of come back to January 2014, but it was my dad of all people who saw me do it in a club in Canada and then I was playing a theater in New Year's Eve and it came up to me and he's like, oh, you did okay, but you should have done that that mushroom story. That mm-hmm. was great. And I was like, what? Because what? my dad is a he's bureaucrat businessman. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a suit. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, everyone's been at a party and it's gone weird. Mm-hmm. It's just your version of that story. And like, I was like, oh, that's a great, you know what I mean? Like, and that became very important because a lot of people were like, do not do that joke. It's too long. It's like, it's weird where the laughs so are. So what they're effectively saying is play it safe. Yeah. Do the stuff that will make you the same as every other generically successful comedian. Yeah. Rather than the stuff you care about. Because if you look at it from a pure, like, structure thing, and is that the laugh lines in it are, you know, the traditional rule is biggest laugh goes at the end. The thing with it is that it flows into other things, so you kind of have, the biggest laugh is actually... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A scale back, and then there's a bridge to another joke. And so that makes a lot of people nervous in a club set, because they're afraid that, like, you know, like, oh, what if they don't go along with you? And it's like, you know, you just you know, smile and keep going and they'll probably come along with you. And if they don't, well, cross that bridge when we come to it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's those sort of things where you kind of just had, I just had to shore up and go, no, I want to do this. And then the funny thing was, is that it actually started really working in clubs. And then I now, I had an incident where someone came up to me and was like, oh, you got to do that story here. And I was like, mm. oh, this is just like, you know what I mean? It's that fucking weird, stupid, like flip advice you get in the industry where it's yeah. like, you know, like, yeah, beards are out. Don't have a beard. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, 20 minutes later, it's like, you shaved your beard. No, beards are in now. It's like, for fuck's sake. So, yeah, it was like that piece of material. Was like The whole show, in general, was like that because it's very honest. Like, I do start talking about, like, since you've seen it, a lot of the fat's been turned off of it and stuff like that. So I literally just start with, a, it's a at this moment, a 12-minute sort of story about being bullied and then my brother being bullied. 
which a couple of people were a little resident being like, you maybe want to start with sort of something on a happier note. And it's like, well, we go to happy, yeah. but let's yeah, yeah. start well, where it's real. This, absolutely. I think there does exist this thing uh, of comedy by committee. Whereby yeah. if you ask too many people their advice or too many people give you their advice on the show, then the temptation when giving someone advice is to say what, it's, to, it's like if I was going to give you advice on the show, the yeah. temptation for me that I would have to be pretty smart and pretty savvy to overcome mm. is to basically tell you what my favorite bits were and yeah. tell you to do more of them. Do yeah. You know I mean? As if that's helpful to you yeah. and your vision for the show. It'd be basically like if you went up to a rock, you went up to the Beatles and you were like, I don't, I really like She Loves Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you just play that like three times? You'd yeah. like it's just counterproductive sort of stuff. And. Yeah, comedy by committee, it'll be disastrous. And it's also, I found with Edinburgh shows, I don't know what your experience is, but I also find that everyone does really become an expert on that festival. Like, they'll go like... That's a very good point. Like, you Absolutely. know, uh, Rick Boothson from the Glasgow Shoe Store newspaper, uh, he doesn't like jokes about ice, so you can't have any ice jokes. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, y- you know, at, at yeah. certain points... Let's- we're jumping all over the place, but at certain points, it's basically, to go back to your very original point, um, it, it, it's two things is I know how I'm presented in terms of I look like a big strapping jockey lad and I'm not that person and I'm I hopefully have written a show that sort of illustrates that point a little bit and B what I want out of Edinburgh if nothing else for myself is to sort of a satisfaction of going alright I took my own advice after a year of taking other people's advice and I think that was the right move and partially why financial and stuff like that is that's how these things are measured. You know what I mean? As sad as it sounds. And also because as we discussed earlier, Edinburgh audiences, you can't necessarily gauge a show on how they do because they've Mm -hmm. decided as a group, well, today we're going to blink instead Mm -hmm. of laugh. So you have to look at some other measuring point. And I purposely am trying to not talk about reviews because again, it's one person's opinion and you kind of like, who, who knows as we just illustrated comedians don't necessarily know what the right thing is to say. Sure. So does a journalist necessarily sure, know what the right sure, thing sure. to say? So it's, it's, Let, yeah. I, I want to talk about um, this idea of being alt yeah, and you being alternative. And I know, like, I mean, one way into it might be to talk about your look. Yeah. Like, have you ever considered doing something weird with your hair or your clothes or something that would make you look different, make, that would seem to present you differently to the kind of big, tough jock that maybe people see. I'm well, not saying you shouldn't. No, no, no. Let's, no, let's, let's a, talk about it through no, that, no, that Totally. Well, it's like the weird things where I was just like, I really like, I don't know, I really like heavy metal and I'm a big fucking music nerd and I never used to wear band t-shirts or graphic t-shirts on stage because I was afraid that it would take away from the joke. And literally in the last, say again, in the last six months I've gone, fuck it, I'm wearing my Iron Maiden t-shirt because I'm going to wear my, like little things like that. Um, I'm also very sensitive to the fact of my act isn't necessarily the most alternative act in certain ways in sort of go on be, be, explore that unpack that a bit because I know what you mean but what do you mean in that it is still <laughs> I know what you mean yeah, what I know, you mean? No, 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 but it's, again it's yeah. illustrating for everyone else is that in terms of there's no and I'm not trying to be derogatory but there's no sort of other thing there's not a, a weird prop I'm not I don't look weird I'm not um, you know standing there playing a a bassoon it's just the jokes are a bit longer and they have weird reference points and stuff like that 
But in the end, it's like the audience that I always like and the audience that always sort of seems to react the most is that sort of weird audience because I will, you know, go on and on. I will have a four-minute joke that involves you understanding the plot of Lord of the Rings, for example. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just the, those sort of things. And yeah, there, I could maybe do something to my personal appearance and stuff like that, but again, I don't know if that's necessarily I, honest, I but wanna, I do see your point. I just want to challenge idea. you just for a minute on, yeah, the, yeah. on the content because... What we just in terms of what we described here, if you're saying I've got a joke about Lord of the Rings, Yo. I've got a joke about a party about people being on mushrooms, that's okay, that's a movie reference and a drug reference. Yeah, how alt is that? That does sound like the sort of stuff you could hear in uh, Junglers on a Friday Night. It is something that you could totally hear in Junglers on a Friday Night, but I don't think because there's a commitment to the idea of you need to listen to it in terms of it's not, um, it's not a like, uh, like who here has ever been on mushrooms. Sure, okay. I ended up taking a taking a shit in a bin, not welcome in Asda anymore, and then everyone applauded. Like, it's... it's <laughs> okay. You know Good what I mean? Like that, and that's the distinction is, and it's, again, it's also why I sort of, the, the terms and the sort of schism of alternative and mainstream comedy I don't think necessarily applied because at a time, Michael McIntyre would have been a very alternative comedian to, it just all shifts, but the idea of it's, you know, it's... You know, instead of a two-minute sort of hit on doing mushrooms, it's a ten-minute whole story that's more about going to a party and also more about just, you know, being... It's more about being alone in London at night if you really break it down to where it is at this point. You know what I'm saying? So it's sort of that sort of stuff. And and so it's... it's Again, alternative's not necessarily the right word. It's more that I... I like the vibe of those rooms. I think they're more interesting. I think they're more conducive to what we do as performers. I think that it's more respectful of what we're doing because it's smaller and it feels right. Like 40 people above a pub in a weird, in front of a weird banner with like a smiling joker on it is a thousand times more interesting because you also have to play it. It's more, more alternative comedy really just means savvier audience to me, you know what I'm saying? Which is why you'll have guys doing really outlandish things because you do have to feed that beast a little bit. But I also think if you walk in with a well-worded story, it works because they can go and going, oh, that was interesting. And he's also given us the respect of saying, you guys can sit through a 15-minute joke that's going to it's gonna have laughs along the way, but you're going to need to trust me in a few moments because it's giving them the respect of the audience of, yes, we will do that for you. Mm. As opposed to a commercial club, which is it's just not feasible because they're drunk. They've come in from Surrey. Yeah. They want, you know, like the good food, good sure. dancing, sure. good comp, whatever the when fuck. When I, I, I saw your Barry Ferns' gig, the Angel comedy gig. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. We just sort of passed the... Yeah, yeah, yeah like Angels and, and... And at the time, I sort of saw you and went, oh, oh goodness, you know, I hadn't... I don't know that I'd seen your act before. Those other times we'd, we'd yeah, met, we'd actually just... seen you. And uh, it seemed to me like you were a... a big, tall, powerful, high-status guy smashing a little alternative room with some stuff that was... with some stuff that was... that would have also been acceptable to a mainstream Mm -hmm. audience. Like, you weren't Tony Law playing the trumpet. No. You know know what I mean? Um, And... hmm, Let me try and work out what what my point is. Do you think that... Like I'm not, I'm not questioning whether or not you're alternative, but I am interested in in just digging a bit deeper into the things that separate you. Like there's definitely the message of the, there's there's the fact that the, the stories are longer. Yeah. 
There's the fact that the audiences are more savvy and prepared to listen, and you're happier talking yeah, 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 to an yeah. audience that's more savvy. But if if like the crux of this interview mm. might be, here's John Hastings. He knows what he looks like. He knows how he comes across, but he feels there's more to him than that in terms of what he has to say, the subject matter, or the rest of it. Let's let's dig a bit deeper into that because I think that's a reasonable summation of where you're at at the moment. Specifically, taking into account what you've said about the changes of the last six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it's one of those things where I think there's sort of two points, which is I think that I do differ in the idea that funny's funny, and if you're Whatever you're doing, if you're given enough time and you do it right, Tony Law can play a flute in Angel and he can play a flute in Jungler Sway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he can get them both and it'll be fucking hilarious. There's outside factors that are out of the control, i.e. stag parties that have been doing cocaine since the morning. Sure. That's not a comedy audience. Those are assholes. No, you know what I'm saying? But that's, that's what I'm saying. Is, so the difference is so... The reason why it's sort of getting away from the distinction of alternative comedy, it's more the idea for me is that I feel like I'm at... Not necessarily a crossroads. I very much determined a path, which is I'm just going to do what I like and I'm going to do yeah. it the way I like it. I understand. Okay. As opposed to sort of worrying about not being, you know, asked to do shoe bangers inside the cupcake hut. And I'm instead forced to do, you know, smile the smile store in fucking Milton Keynes. Like, I, it's more I've just sort of let go of all that and go... Someone p- brings up the phone and goes like, "Hey, do you want to come play?" Blah, 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 like, yeah, and more be able to do what I do at Angel as well as do it anywhere else and be that sort of well-rounded and not worry. And it's very interesting where you bring that up is not worry about um, how it's perceived or how it's read, and just be like, be happy, be happy with me, Stu. You know what I mean? Like it's and it's let's, let's, it, and it's, it's one of those things where it can be very fucking frightening. Because in the end, this is also a job. In the end, you do need Absolutely. to earn money from it at a certain point. So it's also how far are you willing to go before it becomes a total disaster and stuff like that. But also be aware that you shouldn't be necessarily doing this for money. And if it's more beneficial to your soul to play Barry Ferns' gig on a Friday than it is to go to Southampton, mm-hmm. maybe go and do Southampton, which again goes back to the financial ramifications of Edinburgh. Edinburgh goes well. Yes, I understand. You can play those. You can you can be. I don't like comedy being called an art, but you can do more of those arty places, which is good for your soul more often than going and doing those commercial clubs, sure. which are a bit of a crapshoot in terms. Sure, of, sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? I want to I want to talk about the writing, but before yeah. we get that, I just want to probe. I have this sense of you Yo. as someone. You know those guys who are big muscular guys who work out. Mm. Because part of them is scared of getting beaten up, so yeah. there is the the not the appearance of strength, actual strength as a result of actual vulnerability. Yeah, and I wonder if you on stage and you off stage has an element of that to it as someone that was once bullied yeah. and experienced the you know tearing someone to shred with words, and the fact that you are now I think it was a very high status comic for some of the reasons we've, mm. we've discussed. And it's interesting, I wonder whether it's almost like there's a, there's a big mainstream meathead muscular bound guy with a little alternative guy trying to get out of him. Yeah. 
trying, to, trying, to, trying to escape and do the stuff that you want to want to talk about. Completely. I realize we're sort of retreading the ground we just yeah, talked we are, about. We but are, but I, I want to no, just dig into it a little bit You deeper. totally hit the nail on the head, but that's exactly sort of where I came from, which is, it's, yeah, it's it's very much the idea of you... You train to get big muscles not because you like big muscles, but because you are afraid you're going to get you don't want to get punched in the face and you think this is sure. a deterrent. And it's the idea of you take advice from other people because you don't have confidence in your own abilities and it's the idea of you need to realize, well, that has ramifications too yeah. and you'll be this type of performer going so, this time so of stream. What, so what are the steps then given how how attuned you are mm. to the big, tough, smash it out comedy. Dig. And also, given how capable you are of beautiful, little, subtle jokes. I was remembering some from, your, from the show I saw last month. Yeah. Um, you've got a lovely line about, um, she jumped on me like a dog jumping on a sofa that had been told not to jump on that sofa. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. But you've got some really, something that you've got some really subtle and beautifully written lines in there and I felt oh look that's the skinny guy inside the yeah, big, yeah, yeah. the big powerhouse so what are the steps that you now you are at this kind of change and you've recognized that's maybe what's going mm-hmm. on what besides doing an Edinburgh show that's about shit you want to talk about mm. just project into the future what other kind of things you might need to adapt to or uh, risk or sacrifice in order to to follow, because I think you could stay being the powerhouse. Oh, guy, I, I think I did. And you could work the circuit, and you could probably eventually you could get on TV as well. He's this kind of powerhouse guy. Yeah. And maybe it'll be a harder path for you to talk about softer stuff. I think it's actually more softly. I think it would be. I think it's almost. It's not the inverse. I'm actually going to take you to test. One thing you said is I think it'd be the the. It's almost the inverse if you look at just where this may not make it into the interview, but it's just a point I wanted to get across which is i think if you look at the inverse which is it's it's switching over those laddie sort of like let me tell you that fucking is guys are not getting the opportunities that subtle simple acts are and it's again this is not where the change is coming from and i'm not trying to present where it's like it's a whole big big brilliant plan on my part not very good at plans it's but it's 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 switching over the whole the the Stuart lee is selling a big fucking theaters like that's mm-hmm. He can present himself however he wants. He's part of the mainstream, and he is the masthead of the nouveau British alternative comedy. I think that he's doing an amazing thing, and I think it's beneficial for all of us that that is in the mainstream, or in a portion of the mainstream. Absolutely. So, I think that your point of like, yes, I could be sort of on the circuit and stuff like that, but to what end would that lead? If you're doing this, and you're making whatever amount we're going to make... You need to be okay with who sure. you are and look so at the mirror. So what you're saying is you might not be sacrificing stuff to change. You're not Actually, to change, you might be more successful. And in the end, as long as you're fucking happy with yourself, well, what does it really matter? You can The beneficial thing of where the world is right now with the internet, you're going to have to travel a lot, but you can make a decent living if you're okay with being on the road all the time, being whoever you want to be. Going back to the transition of it, I think you have to be okay with bombing. You have to be confident in yourself. You have to be able to say no. Are you okay with bombing? I am now okay with bombing. Coming to the UK will train you to be okay with bombing for sure. And yeah, and it was a big thing. Part of that sort of two years was bombing a lot because I came back and I had a, I had a dynamite road act from Canada. References change. 
speed changes, I talk quickly, I have to learn how to slow down, and I have to learn how to react with being nervous because you're under a lot more pressure because you're away from how, like, for, you know, for six months you're away. Types, there's two different types of bombing happening there. There's bombing because your act doesn't fit the, your, your, your dynamite road act. It, it doesn't, doesn't fit, fit and it's also... And there's also a type of bombing whereby you are taking more risks and going more slowly and following your creative dreams. Correct. That's a different type of bombing. Are you okay with that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love, and it's, again, it's learning which type of bombing it was and also learning, oh, this one's beneficial. It's not supposed to, I remember... It was, where was I? I was in Covent Garden coming back from one of the open mic night, or one of the new material nights that's in that area on a Monday. And I went, wow, that was a really, they didn't laugh once, but that's okay because I now know what I need to do to change it. When before it would be like, I would write the joke, joke would be done, then I would take it and if it worked, great. And if it didn't, I would never say it again. And now it's okay. the idea of the process of, oh, it needs to build like this. Sure. And it's also you just need to rely on certain performance elements and stuff like that. Address the room. Always, you know, if you're being in those moments of like you're really digging a hole deeply and creative because you're talking about something more personal, sometimes it's a bit of a darker subject or something like that. You need to be able to go like, I know, like you have to, you know, reassure him a little bit because of whatever. So, yeah. No, and I think that that's important. And I think it's also just, I've said it about three times and I'm going to say it again. You have to be, in the end, you have to be okay with yourself. And I like the performing I'm doing right now and I like the material that's coming out right now and I do like the balance of high status and low status and like big like boom jokes and also little throwaway yeah. jokes that not everyone's gonna get yeah. yeah and you have again you have to be okay with a half a half laugh which is a much more Canadian term which is literally you'll have acts that are fucking great but they oh they get half laughs because they're talking about Mumford and Sons and not their wives, for yeah. example. Yeah. yeah. And it's just all that sort of stuff. And I think that it's also important to go, like, I think you probably have gone through in the last two years with, you know, starting this podcast and doing whatever, because you have a, you have a platform. And I think that like sort of seeing you sort of in passing and stuff like that, like you're one of the few guys that sounds really happy about their, their show. Like I've listened to it and you've been talking about like, the previews and you have confidence here in your voice. And I think you've probably just found your little, your, thing I think I'm going I'm going through the beginnings of what you've gone through in the last sort of two years because you either someone said it or you said it on a podcast which is you had a similar thing you had the focus of the clubs and now you're kind of realizing I need to worry about me and what I'm putting out there and those opportunities will find me or they won't and who gives a fuck you know mm -hmm. am, am I mm -hmm. putting words in your yeah, mouth yeah no I think that's uh, broadly accurate yeah yeah and it's again it's you know knowing what you knowing what you want and knowing what you need to do to get there is sort of big and important let's talk about the writing then let's Dick. talk let's let's do this let's do this bit of it how yeah. do you write where do you write what's the are you taking notes throughout the year or do you sit in front of a laptop when in the week do you write describe what you writing a show looks I like, like how like our big we had a big emotional like deep onion peeling and now it's like all right, which coffee shop do you... Uh, I write very strangely. I write... I like to be uncomfortable when I'm writing because it um, it makes the mind... I always think if there's a bunch of things distracting you, then the full focal point or the thing that you're really actually trying to get to will kind of spring up. Do you know what I'm saying? Where oh, you, do you like distractions? Love it. Okay. It's, I, I, it's weird. I, this is just a sidebar to explain that. 
I was born three months premature, so I have a weird thing where I was born without muscle instincts. So I legitimately have to think to move anything. So I have some twitches that are just impulsive, but to like literally like raise my right arm, my mind goes, you would like to raise right arm, raise right arm. So I can't like catching a ball is very tiring because I literally have to think, where's that ball? Go? Like there's no muscle thing, that sort of stuff. So my mind's always going in that sort of rapid succession. So for me to actually really calm down, it's like put something on television, play some music on top of that and be doing something else and then I can just sort of focus right down and be like this is what's this is the heart of the matter right there so I write a lot on buses because there's a thousand things going on on buses or tubes because there's people getting on and off people talking the things buzzing it's starting it's stopping it's starting it's stopping you're totally isolated and it's also you're far away from everything like you can't get distracted by flatmate saying hey can you clean the bathroom oh you're hungry all those sort of things like you're just you're stuck in that or stuck on a train for an hour so you just ride the circuit i see so you can so you enjoy being kind of uh, mentally distracted but that's different to the physical distraction you you don't want your flatmate coming and saying no come and do this because you've got to because so I, I want to stay in one place and do the stuff, but have your mind shooting off in all directions. Exactly, and it's also much less writing where it's more I, um, I think about it like a uh, like it's, it's sort of a little thought, so I'll write like a little buzzword or like a memory of a thing that I wanted to sort of talk about because a lot of it now is a lot of sort of personal anecdotes and stuff like that that's based on like this actually happened and expand on or take this and put that here and then boom, that, like... So it's like, oh, remember this incident, go up and talk about that. Um, and then talk about it a lot, 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 a lot. And it'll get sort of, what I always think about it is it'll get like one laugh line in it. Or one punchline or one thing that it sort of it can set up punchline. Then I'll write it out. So you get the idea, then you talk on stage. Yeah. Numerous times until, Numerous you, times, until yeah. you are like, oh, that's that bit. Yeah, like I'll okay. go out because there's enough sort of open mic nights and stuff like that in London where if you've got something new on a Monday, you can do like three. On a Tuesday, you can do two. Mm-hmm. So that's five sort of sets. And in that, I usually can find I can sort of suss out the little bits, mm-hmm. the moving parts of it, basically. And then I'll write it out completely so I can look at it and then do that version. What will usually happen there is it'll stop working for a while because I'm thinking about it too much. Mm-hmm. Then I'll look at it and go, oh, here's where it was, scale it back a little bit, and then put it out there, okay. and then that's how it sort of works. Okay. So, it's a, it's so, then, so then you go back to the writing desk, Yeah. and you, what do you do? What sort of tool did you use? I, it's a notebook and a piece of paper. Okay, I mean, in terms of like principles, what sort of, uh, like if you've got, okay, that line's funny, mm-hmm. then do you do, have you got any like exercises that you do, like the kind of go, okay who, when, where, what, why, any kind of that sort of stuff? Or do you just try and write it out in a different way? Or how do you, what sort of tools are you using to tease the funny stuff out of the rest of the story surrounding that so what funny I, bit? What I do is if it's a bit, um, I'll get it exactly how I want it to do do it. And then when it's really cooking, I'll then fuck my, this is something I blatantly stole from Louis C.K.'s method, method, which I'll fuck myself. So if it's mm-hmm. a new bit, it's working in the middle of the set, I'll open or close with it, see how that goes. If that doesn't work, I will... If it's working in one of those positions, I'll then move it to the other position. Mm-hmm. Um, then I will remove integral pieces of it. Like, I'll just take out the punchline. Or you switch okay. the punchline in the setup. Or you just do the setup and try and find if you can 
get a laugh out of that or just do the punchline somewhere else. At open mic gigs. At open mic gigs. And then when it's really, really solid, put it to the piece I want it to kind of work and then just have it floating. But I also, if it's not an Edinburgh show, I don't really go up with a set list. Like I'll kind of okay. just have like these six I know I can end on, these three I know I can open with. I'll put that maybe in the middle or that one. Okay. And yeah. Do you need to have that's that sounds quite scary, I guess, so to me and maybe to other people listening to this, that idea of like deliberately tripping yourself up. Mm. Do you need to sort of does that require kind of courage to stick to the plan when you're on stage and maybe it's not working? Is it do you go okay, th- I can tell this isn't the right place to do this or there's something even on an open mic yeah. on a Monday it's not working, I'll fall back on the existing stuff. Or do you manage to stick to your guns and go, nah? I, I just always think of it as part of the job. You know what I mean? Like, it's you need to go up there and... That's the one thing I, I did lose that for a while, first time, first being here, sort of the first year. But I just remembered you have to not... You have to be okay with being shit for a purpose, which is... Like, again, going back to the story about the mushrooms, that joke, there was a couple of things that have to be in there. Mm-hmm for it to work completely and I wouldn't have found them if I hadn't taken them out because in terms of writing and editing we self-edit and we all shrink jokes eventually or add extemporaneous things and doing it that way it avoids a lot of that because you know I have to mention this piece right here I have to mention this right here an addition here is okay anything added at the beginning right here is very very bad to illustrate with that joke um, I describe the people at the party mm-hmm. and I do it twice. You do it, one of them you don't need, one of them is essential. It literally ruins the rest of the joke if it's not there. Okay. And it's surprising. And, and knowing that, then it, it kind of, you can present it and stuff like that, which is also why I think I come off as very high status and there's a lot of shouty things, which is I'm going like, you gotta remember, like, because a lot of those things are long, so it's like, you gotta remember this. And you may not actually know why I need you to remember it, but just trust me for a tick. You're going to need to remember that. And then we'll move along, 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 along. And then it'll come back. And then if I haven't been clear that they haven't remembered it, then that's the scary part. Because it's like, I've just talked for eight minutes and I'm at an open mic. I have no time to repair this. Yeah. I'm now going to walk off. And one of my friends is now going to have to go fix this mm-hmm. instead of doing their new material. Mm-hmm. And I will apologize to them afterward. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, the scary thing for me is... I don't want to fuck the gig up. I, like, at this point, I don't, if I'm at, you know, above the Griffin Dew in Piccadilly Circus, if the four tourists don't laugh, I'm okay. Like, I've had scarier people not laugh at me, and I've been further away from the the, the door I have keys to. So that's that's what I'm okay with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's basically it. Is that a scary thing? I never think of it. I don't know how other comics really write, so I, uh, I'm like, I'm always sort of interested in terms of like, is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? You know what I mean? Like, do you ever think about that? Like, is it like, have I approached this in a in a way that's sometimes fucking me over or sometimes not? And I always oh, absolutely all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's the funny thing is that we're all in this weird thing of like we're places where like you do ten years in theory you should have been doing it. You know, you've reached ten thousand hours. You are an expert at this but there is no there's not even there's not even a hundred ways to approach it you know what I mean like mm-hmm. the way that a, a, a Nick Helm and a 
Michael McIntyre would approach the same gig to get yeah. the same laughs would be so different because mm-hmm. of style and all that sort of stuff. So it's always just a very interesting game, which is, again, going back to why I always try and avoid, or I don't even know if I've this, but I think it's been a big thing in the last year, is just avoid comparison, avoid caring about anything anyone else is doing because they're doing their thing, you're doing your thing. It And it also doesn't affect you. Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing is, I, somewhere along the way, and it's really prevalent here, is it's this idea of, if one person gets something that's preventing me from getting it, do you know what I'm talking yes, about? I you've you. sat in green rooms where you hear people saying X and Y about people that have good jobs. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, if you were, like, the only person that could have done that job more than likely is that person. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing producers and production companies are good at is finding the one guy who not only can be funny when the camera's on, but can be reliable mm-hmm. and can be funny after 15 hours because mm-hmm. they've been writing that going like, well, it's the cupcake special mm-hmm. and we have the cupcake maker mm-hmm. and the band called the cupcakes and you need a cupcake joke. And I don't give a fuck that you're tired. Go make the cupcake joke. You're getting paid a million pounds. Like, do you ever have those moments of extreme jealousy of like you're sitting there being like, why am I not the next? It's less extreme now, but yeah. I certainly do undergo them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but... I'm far better now. I think it, uh, at, just relaxing all of the uh, the the instincts to go, oh, but I'm not as good as that, and I yeah. want to be as good as that, or even, like, I'm better than that, and that guy's doing better than me, but yeah. I'm better than him. I, I feel that a lot less often, but it still stings when it happens. Yeah, I did, I did have a moment. Well, it's just a moment where I realized, it's like, who am I to say that I'm better than them, or they're better than me? They know, they know what they're doing for my audience, their audience, and I need to either go out and find mine or do something more, do something different, all that sort of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Just coming back to some of the writing before, before we wrap up. The, um, you, I think, have a real gift for simile. Mm. You're very, very uh, articulate. You're very good at articulating and being imaginative about really nicely divergent things. Like there was one person wants to have sex, the other one knows there's a tiger. Mm. I, there's a lot of kind of little, like she, you know, he did this like an ex doing a one. Yeah. Now when you have those little kind of little golden bullets, you know, or silver bullets, whatever it is, mm. do you, are those something that you try lots of different yeah. things with? You go, it was like X doing Y. Okay, next week, okay, it's like X doing Z. It's, I do that and I also try not to write them. I try and just go up and just say, riff it. Ah, okay. That's... Because it's, it's a real parlor trick, but it sounds more genuine because it sounds like it's you're sitting there and having the conversation about it. Because if you listen to people, they will yeah. compare. And if you sit and write it, it gets that, that gloss on it, which I don't always... Li- I like the warts and all sort of thing you know what I mean so like, you're going up there with and then I'm going to use some sort of simile about how this person did this but exactly. I have no idea what it is yeah and then you just but then you find the right one and when you found the right one then you repeat it yeah you, you repeat realize, it it's not something you're doing every single show differently you're going okay that's how I wrote that was I went up and it jumped out yeah and it just ju- and the fifth one to jump out was the one and on it's, the you, it's exactly that and it's even crazier than that is sometimes it you'll like the the whole joke will then benefit from that there's one line where I describe a kid, and it's my favorite line in the show, so I'm not going to give it away, but literally that line describing a kid literally made the entire next 10-minute piece work, because without it, it looks like I'm being very mean to some to a child, but with it, 
everyone has like I know what I know exactly like I know exactly the kid you're describing. Yep. And it's again, it's going back is getting out of my own way, which is there would have been a time when I would have then tried to illustrate more, 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 and it's just like no, that's what it is, and walk away, keep going, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Because it's. I think there's a tendency when comedians, and this is generality, get very nervous. We have a tendency to, especially on stage, if we get a laugh, instead of moving on to the next laugh, we can sometimes stand right there and go, remember, you laughed at this before, you laugh at it again. You've seen the guy bombing and they'll do like, remember this joke? That was a great time. Yeah. And that's always just sort of like, that's. I'm like, I know what you're doing, but... At the same time, it's like, just be confident, especially UK audiences are very specifically different, which is UK audience, you can always save a bomb, like, you can always find that moment and be like, haha, I got you, well, Canadian audiences, if they turn on you, they turn, well, they're just distracted, it's, they have waiters, and they have beer, and they can talk to each other, well, here, it's, the longest a, a section of a show will be is... 40 minutes yeah so that they they're okay with it sort of coming back and they're going to give you in a, again a decent environment they're going to give you a bit more of an opportunity oh you guys don't have intervals no intervals you get it's 90 minutes straight and it's all the way through yeah, okay yeah okay. like so it's, it. here's a little you've noticed every canadian comic has at least like a five minute joke like if they've come out of the yuck yucks sort of scene yuck yucks the equivalent of a junglers in canada yeah and uh, they all have a five-minute joke, and it's for a part of the show called The Check Drop, where the waiter or waitress goes around and puts all the checks on the table. So no one's listening to the show. No one's listening they're to the show. They're the doing checks. math. And I've seen guys literally bribe the waiters and be like, you do it after the set. And that's also why the host will then stay on longer. Okay. Because that's when they've come back to get paid. Yeah. And so that they've dropped the checks. That's last co- orders. So then the person, that's about the 40-minute mark or 30-minute mark, depending on the show is going, headliner gets off, host goes back on, and literally, go to any comedy show in North America, that host is going to do five minutes of innocuous announcements that you've already heard, when the open mic is, who the next headliner is, all that sort of stuff, and he's only doing it so that you can't run away without paying, and that's the only reason. Yeah, because there's no <laughs> intervals, and I like the interval system better, I think it's better 20 minutes at a time. Um, in a club, I think it just moves it along a bit more, gives it a nice sort of break. Although it's hard to double up because if you're not really smart with your math, you end up like needing to be in two places across town, 10 minutes from each other. Let's finish by just talking about what you find the most, and I realize you don't want to give any stuff away from your show because you're about to go out there and do it, but what is the most pleasurable bit of the show for you what's the bit when you, what and and why is the bit where you most think oh I'm, I love this bit oh I can oh it's completely it's the first bit um, which I'm okay talking about actually it's the first bit I talk about being bullied and I really like it for a variety of reasons especially if you've listened to the show I like it because A it doesn't it's something that I've always wanted to talk about and I never thought I could make funny because I didn't like that it happened to me and I like that it, it's it's the the most honest thing in the show because it's literally like this is... It took me a long time to get to, like, why did I have these feelings? And it goes, oh, it was being treated like this as a kid. that And so it was like in like that thing. And then to be able to go, I took this and I made it funny. And I made it funny to the point that I've done it in a jungler's. And it didn't do well, but it didn't bomb. And I was like, that's that makes me happy. Because it's, again, it sort of proved the theory of, like, 
this is exactly what I want to do. On paper, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. It goes counter, this is going to Canadian, but counter character or counterintuitive okay. to what you look like, which is I look like I the jock. Okay. Yeah. We don't want to hear about the jock being bullied. It was like, well, it wasn't a fucking jock. Well, fuck yourself. I was this kid. And then being able to take them on this sort of whole journey and then boom. Like I just, I like how it feels. It feels like a nice sort of crescendo. Uh, not a crescendo. It would be a Cesorza? It's theater school. Yeah, it's a Cesorza. So it's a silence building up to a noise. So yeah, that's exactly what it is. I cannot believe I've just used that word, and I think I mispronounced it on your podcast. But yeah, that bit—it just makes me very happy to do it, and it—it's just—it's just a very proud sort of moment. You know what I mean? Like it's like that one's, that one's for me, and then like because when you saw it, there were other things around that bit. I think like I was talking about my friend and his marriage, and all that sort of stuff, and I just realized like well, all of that is just explaining that again. So just do that, and it was again I knew what I was doing was I was covering up the thing that I actually cared about with the other more sort of relatable bits of like, oh, who hasn't been broken up with or who hasn't had a friend leave him because his girlfriend doesn't like you. I don't know if that one's actually that relatable. But like, but that is going to say, oh, no, it's this. This is what I'm trying to get to. Let's look at this and let's do this and let's make this strong. We don't need that stuff if I'm committed to this piece of material. And uh, yeah, and I don't think I would have been able to do that a year ago because I don't think I would have had the ability to go like, this is, I have faith in myself. I have faith in what I need. I need to say and I need the show to say so let's go down this dumb path to stupid bully town thanks man so that was John ladies and gentlemen go and see his brilliant brilliant hour of comedy at the Pleasance Courtyard uh, it's on every day throughout the festival at 9.45 so that's in the courtyard I of course am on in the same venue in the Pleasance Courtyard at 7 um, so make a night of it and uh, come and say hello in between times you can find out all about John at johnhastingscomedy.com um, so thank you to him for coming along I, I really really enjoyed that conversation I hope you did too no show next week while I get settled and then we're back the week after with uh, one that I will do in a hotel room between now and then thank you to Olivia Phipps for the podmin Toby Rose for the web stuff uh, this episode co-produced as, uh, as is becoming increasingly more common uh, by the fabulous Nathan Wood so thank you to him and thank you to James JQ Quintin as well for his help behind the scenes tutoring me on some sound stuff so we should be sounding better and better in future episodes thanks very much I'm off to Edinburgh I'll see you there or email me and get in touch with me if look if you email me in the next month it's going to be a sporadic reply but some of you will be thinking no more so than usual right have fun see you up there bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.